Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. As always, I'm Clark Coffey, and with me is Mr. Cullen McFader. What's up? Hello, hello. <laughs> nice to be back. It's been a little bit of a, a while since we last spoke. It, so. it has. Yeah. I mean, you know, potentially unbeknownst to the, the, the listeners yes, the, at home. I think the know, episodes will come out consecutively but yeah we like uh, hopefully we're yeah. trying to be you know we're trying to be consistent with the releases although we're not nailing mm-hmm. that perfectly but sometimes on the recording side you know we might have a little bit more or a little bit less time this mm-hmm. is this is we're both feeling maybe a little bit rusty hopefully that won't be obvious <laughs> but mm-hmm. it has yeah, been a it's while the first of the year i think the first of the yeah year, the first so, of, yep the it's the first of the year and uh, i've been off in seattle uh shooting or working on a uh, a feature film and uh, Colin, you've been in post on Goors, mm-hmm. so we've both been busy, but we're excited to be back. And today, we're going to discuss my pick, 1987's Three O'Clock High, a mm-hmm. film that uh, I've loved ever since uh, childhood. I probably saw this film, you know, maybe 89, uh, 90, something around there when it came out on cable TV. Uh, Colin is the first time that you've yes. ever seen the yeah. film. So I always, I'm always excited when we have a setup like this because it's 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 uh I I'm always interested to get, you know, a modern uh person like you're, you know, it's like a contemporary young person's perspective on a film that I grew up really uh loving and being inspired by when I was a kid. So, let's start right there. Mm-hmm. Uh and there's a lot to talk about in this film. I just I want to, you know, before I just want to say one quick thing. Is I almost feel like I want to like this is I, I've made up a genre for this film and films like this for me in my own mind, and, and the genre is films that punch way above their weight. Oh yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah, it yeah. is, but I love films that have no like no right being good. Yeah, they've got yet, no business. Yeah, <laughs> like no business being good, but they are. Yeah. and I feel yeah. like this film completely falls into that category. Uh, but let's let's hear about uh, your experience watching this film. Well, I think I mean first of all, just to kind of comment on you punching above the weight and stuff, that it, it's a very um, I would say like inspiring film in a way that this is the debut film of a guy. He was twenty four when he made it. He was younger yeah. than the leads. Yeah, um, and, and almost all not... the the main leads are almost all yes. unknowns. Yeah. yeah, and and it's and it's not. Um, by any means, again, we'll get into this more when we talk about the kind of the direction of it, but it's not like flashy. It's not, you know, it's it's just really, really well crafted and tightly made and um, just very smooth in a way. And I know that it's not, it didn't, you know, do a huge numbers at the box office. It, it's it's more of a cult classic. I yep. I actually hadn't really heard of this until you had mentioned it to me a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and now, of course, we're, we're doing it in an episode. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think what's what's great about it is it doesn't, you know, it's it's a very simple, simple story. It's a really simply directed, simply, you know, just all around simple film. Yeah. But it proves that movies like that, that 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 you don't have to write some magnum opus complex thing to kind of have an impact. And it's still very impactful. It's still, you know, everything in it works really well. The actors all work off of each other really well. The the, the tone of it, there's never any tonal inconsistencies, which can be something that's, you know, surprisingly difficult to nail is yeah. this tone and film and yes. making sure that, that, you know, even though this movie does have 
some relatively not serious moments in terms of like you're scared or you're 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 sad or anything like that but but there's definitely these these you know there are more kind of adult moments yeah yeah there's 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 these bits in there that but it never feels out of place it's yeah. never like you're never sitting there going like okay this is now the movie has shifted tones and this everything work. feels earned yeah yeah exactly like, and so how did you feel like i'm just curious like to even get a little more personal before yeah. we start kind of dissecting the film and talking about you know different people who worked on it and different aspects of it mm-hmm. i mean just just as like an audience just as an audience member like what was your experience watching yeah i mean film? i i i was definitely up front um i knew nothing about it i hadn't mm-hmm. seen a trailer from it had uh didn't know what it was about no expectations yeah um it's actually very not impossible but it's hard to find a lot about the movie because it is such a cult kind of classic and and didn't blow up any you know huge yeah. you know media stuff or whatever i think, I think it was um, theatrically released for like 10 days yeah and it was exactly. pulled out yep um and so i i knew nothing and and I, when i started watching it, it's like the first 10 minutes are very john hughes kind of ferris bueller like guy's getting ready in the morning he's late for school yeah. his sister has to come with him his younger sister yeah um then he picks up his friend who like is very clearly kind of crushing on him this girl that he picks up from her house and they're driving yeah. to school together and there's this funny bit where they you know he almost crashes the car <laughs> and i was kind of sitting there and it's all well done but i was sitting there going like all right did clark just put <laughs> me in, in front of a a you know uh a, like a, a, regular a, teen drama a john high hughes knockoff movie. yeah <laughs> And so I was kind of like, what's like, what's the catch here? And I knew that you wouldn't just cho- choose some random like teen drama flick. So I was like, what's the catch here? And then <laughs> as soon as you get it, you just go, oh, okay, I see. And as, as soon as the main conflict of the plot starts, which doesn't take long, it's about like it's introduced as soon as they get to school, This they, they start yeah. planting the seeds of it. And then you also think like, you know, a lot of times in a movie like this, what I was expecting it was that they, they get to the school and you're talking about this guy who's like oh you know he broke some guys well, what neck. a great character introduction guy. He shot by a, way. He sh- yeah exactly and you're and my thought my prediction when i was sitting there watching it was like oh it's gonna turn out the guy gets there and he's completely not that and then these two are gonna become friends and they're gonna realize that they're so misunderstood <laughs> that's what you thought was gonna happen yeah i thought oh, it was gonna be about like it. them kind of getting to like kind of like a breakfast club type thing okay yeah yeah where it's yeah. like oh you expect him to be a big bully but then they actually is it they they connect on a like really he's personal got a heart level. yeah like like my bodyguard yeah yeah in 1980 or or like you said I was uh, expecting Club. that yeah yeah and then um and then no and then it just goes with it it's like oh he actually did stab somebody and, and <laughs> went to juvie and all this stuff and and it plays up again this idea of like i think I, I had messaged you while i was watching it yeah i don't use my phone during movies but i just had to kind of message you to let you know that i was i was enjoying it yeah and yeah. um i basically just like it's like bringing me right back to high school like it felt you know it was it which is rare because there's a lot there's so much stuff that is made about high school and shot in high school and you know whether it's tv or movies that are all in, and like very rarely do you have like a smile on your face because you're kind of sitting there going like yep that's that's exactly well what especially it's like. that's this exactly is exactly kind of the feeling that you have when you're when you're in this high is school. what 35 years old almost mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you're in Canada. And I know that, you know, culturally, there are a lot of similarities between Canada and America. But I do Mm -hmm. feel like we can talk about this a little more later that, you know, the American high school experience is is fairly unique in the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't I didn't grow up in Canada. I didn't go to high school in Canada. So I I can't speak to how different it might be. But I, I do know just from having talked to uh, you know, people throughout my life who've grown up in other countries that 
the, the, and this is part of why a film like this doesn't translate globally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be, because there is a pretty unique kind of experience with high school and our public school system in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's interesting to me that you related to this. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. There's, there's definitely a like a lot of differences between the cultural elements yeah. of like high school in the U.S. and Canada. But then there's, I think the major things, um, the major things are all very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe say, like we don't have like the pep rallies and things like that, and you know, I think there's less of like a school spirit kind of idea, but there still mm. is, you know. I think that I think an American student going to a high school in Canada or vice versa wouldn't feel like a fish out of water. I right. You know, I think that there's I think that the similarities across the board are are much greater in number than I think it's. Yeah, I, I, I would assume. And a, a lot of that is just because of how influenced, of course, Canada is from the U.S. Yeah. Be it culturally, media, whatever. Um, but I also think that, it, um, you know, there is sort of this conglomerate of like North America, maybe lesser to a lesser extent in Mexico, but like yeah. Canada, the U.S. just have such similar cultures. And with the time, in, in with, very, the, with all these years yeah. that have passed, I mean, that that makes my heart smile, I have to say. Yeah, no, like, I mean, I was sitting there and I was like, you know, everything just, well, both from the idea that like a very broad idea that everything in high school is the most important thing in the world yeah. on that day, but also I, just the sense of just like in senior year you are you know you have so much freedom to do what you want and you know all the teachers and you can kind of get away with just walking around the, the hallways and we've all known and... all these characters right yeah i mean exactly, I, I think exactly. all of us you know e all of us either have been affected by like directly or indirectly a bully i mean everybody has at least one bully experience right we mm -hmm. you, you at least knew that there, you're a bully or you, or you a were the bully that was bullied or you were the bully <laughs> or or you were bullied yeah. um yeah. at some point in your like middle school high school career i think most people can relate to that um i think like that they did a great job with each of these characters even those who weren't on the screen for a very long time i mean i i love that they have like these two these two guys who are like film fanatics and they're running around yes, the high school yeah, trying, to, get trying to ucla yeah and they're trying to turn you know that our, our our lead character jerry's you know tragedy into a film that they're shooting like right in the school and you've got mm -hmm. you know the kid and the like uh, and the Boy Scouts beret, like taking bets, and mm -hmm. you know you've got—I mm -hmm. mean, you've got the goth girl, which you know I—I I don't know what that's turned into now for kids of this era, but I mean, just oh, always... there's always the goth kids. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's. But I'm—I I, you know... actually a question that's not necessarily super related to the movie, but yeah, okay. related to kind of the conversation. Yeah. The only thing that I would say is majorly out of the ordinary to me is having like a like a that sort of convenience store type thing like a supply ah, a store in your store. high school did you have that so i did not so we did not have a school store okay in my high school i don't think we might have the closest had some we had to that of... was like a cafeteria well you know, i like was where gonna you could go in and buy food and stuff but... and you know now that i think about it gosh i i almost do feel like so i don't think we had a big like a big store but i do feel like there was some sort of kind of commissary some sort of like Ours, I mean, if we something. had one, it was built into the library. Like, yeah. if I wanted to go something. buy paper or supplies, I could go to the library, and you, every student had, like, a credit amount. That yeah. You could, you there could was buy something. From, but there was no, there was no like, physical Big store. room yeah. that you went into that had shelves and 
Right. You know, university, yes, but um, yeah, but not, I don't think uh, we had. Yeah, it's not like there was a place you could go and buy, you know, the high, like your, the the mascot T-shirts and, you know, mm-hmm. all. Yeah, those were stuff. all done just paper orders and stuff like that. With and stuff. I don't know if that was manufactured for this film or mm-hmm. if, you know, maybe on the this the this was a real high school shot in a real high school in yeah. Utah. Uh, so I don't know if they if that that maybe actually that just existed is there. Yeah. or maybe that, you know, whatever. Who knows? Um, I will say that one connection too. Um, yeah. to this movie uh the school's mascots are the tigers and they're playing the panthers and there's all these signs all over the place it's like yeah. skin the panthers kill the panthers <laughs> and stuff yeah my high school's uh like team was the panthers so nice yeah mine were mine were the vikings so oh, no yeah. no correlation whatsoever but well i mean so that's awesome to me to and i think um, it speaks to a lot of great qualities of the film that even all these years later you know generation later even a mm-hmm. little bit of cultural difference that the film translated for you, that it spoke to your high school experience kind of authentically. I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you enjoyed the film. Oh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I, not that I expected not to like it, but yeah. um, I had no expectations. I didn't yeah. I didn't know what to expect at all. So That, I, that cracks it, me it, up. I love it. Was, yeah. I love the fact that you kind of, you know, because I've seen the film, of course. So when I first saw this film... Um, you know, uh, probably, you know, a couple of years after it was released theatrically, I did not see it in the theater. Almost nobody mm-hmm. did. So, uh, but I, I, I saw it probably, you know, on HBO, or cable, uh, on television. And it was one of those things where back then, in those days, you just watched whatever the heck was playing. So yes, yeah. I, I was just, you know, I, even back then, I was a big film fan. And so I would watch basically whatever the heck I could get my hands on. And so this was probably just came on the TV and I just started watching it and I didn't know what to expect either. And holy crap, I was really blown away by it. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely I had a big I had like a, you know, I had a grin on my face the entire yeah. time. Well, that it's, and, it's and, a very charming movie. I'd, yeah. like, I'd say that's one way to describe it. So just everything is super. It, there's, there's an energy about authentic, it. Authentic. Yeah. And there's an energy about it. Yeah. There's that with the, the kinetic nature of how it's shot and I just the 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 economy of the story, mm-hmm. um, it just and again like the relatability. I think it all adds up to, and I think that's a great word to use. It's a very charming film. But I, you know, so this film, you know, I so I saw it way back when. Uh, it stuck in my mind, and then of course, you know, it wasn't until. You know, I don't even think VHS is when this film really kind of found an audience, although maybe mm-hmm. it was starting to build. But I think really it was DVD when we really had this huge surge in at home, you know, just uh, accessibility, accessibility. Yeah. yeah. And then I think it really took off. Yeah. It found yeah. an audience and uh, and it's it's done exceptionally well. And then I've been able to be re- to re- revisit it, of course. And now uh, Shout Factory has actually released a few years ago a really uh, wonderful Blu-ray release with director's commentary and some other interviews, and which is I, I think the best way that you can probably watch this film today. Um, but uh, I, I'm and I'm you know it's kind of I don't know if that's happened to you. And maybe you need to add a few years before it really, really happens to you. But it's kind of fun to have a film that you really felt warmly toward when you were young mm-hmm. and then have that. Oh, you I've know, had that. Yeah. And then it, and, but nobody else, you know, you're like, who in the hell else I, has I, ever seen I have this film? exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't think it's something that we'll ever do for this, but there was a movie when I was a kid called Magic in the Water. Okay. Um, and it was an American movie, um, but it was shot all in BC in uh, kind of like north of Vancouver. Okay. And um, 
starred um what's his name uh Magic in the Water. Yeah, I was like, it you'll starred, have to look that one up. I'm not uh, familiar uh, uh, with this film. Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, Mark Harmon. Heck yeah. Um, so it stars him, and and it's like it's kind of like an ET ripoff thing. Ripoff. Um, okay. It's a quick, quick like side Mac note. and Me. Um, they had yeah, a bunch exactly. of those. But I, I used yeah. to watch this movie a ton of, as a kid, and we had the VHS. I probably wore out the VHS tape, it, and nobody I've ever met, like literally yeah. nobody I have ever met, has ever it, seen this movie or yeah. heard of it. And um. I just recently, you know, within the last, I think, three or so years, I found there's, like, it's impossible to find anywhere online, and I found just a, a, a version of it on some, like, streaming site. Okay. And I watched it, and I was like, there's actually a lot of really impressive stuff about this. Like, it, it, it actually is directed really well. It's not a fantastic movie by any means, but, like... There's like a really, you know, similar it's just to close this, to your this heart. is a charm of it. And, and, it's close um, to your so heart. So I actually emailed the director yeah, okay. um, and told him that that it was a movie that had a huge impact on me, on me as a kid. And it's like this kind of Amblin knockoff type thing. But but I, I emailed well, him I, and told him that I, I loved it. I messaged Phil. I sent yeah. Phil a note on oh, really? his website. And I, but did he respond? Because well, I, I just did it yesterday. responded to me. Yeah, oh, I just so did it yesterday. Yeah. So, so Phil, if you're listening, uh, yeah, uh, I, I sent you a note. Yeah. Um, but basically, and, and not that I, I don't require any response, but I just sent a note uh, saying thanks because mm -hmm. it was an inspirational film to me, Three O'Clock High. I I mean, let's, let's kind of, I, I think the, and this is interesting. So I didn't know a lot about what we're going to talk about here as far as the background and how this film kind of came to be. I didn't know mm -hmm. any of this until like now, basically. Yeah. I yeah. was super surprised about the heritage of this film. Um I mean, so so right off the bat, we'll kind of start with what I think is extremely interesting. So this film was actually ghost produced by Steven Spielberg and Amblin. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea because, of course, it's, you know, if you if you look at the credits, it's um, it's uh, it's the produced by uh, Spelling, right? Aaron Spelling. Yes. And yeah. who's, of course, huge in television. And, uh, but apparently, and I'm not, I, I don't, did you, do you recall, did you get a chance to read like exactly how that came to be? I'm not a hundred percent No, I'm sure. not sure. It's, it's actually quite difficult to find a lot There's of There's some weird info. kind of politics yeah. and kind of, yeah. you know, but basically, you know, Spelling owned the script. He didn't want to give it up, but he, you know, but he kind of handed it off to Amblin and Steven Spielberg. Um, and then the director of this film, Phil Janu, uh, was a USC student and mm -hmm. had uh, done like a 30-minute student film uh, called Last Chance Dance that apparently Spielberg, uh, probably as a USC graduate himself, um, caught, caught a glimpse of somehow and really liked it and saw potential. And so kind of Phil and Steve developed a relationship and Steven Spielberg asked Phil to direct a couple. Uh, Spielberg used to produce this television show called uh, Amazing Stories. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, Phil Janu uh, directed a couple of those and apparently did a good enough job that Spielberg gave him this script. And mm -hmm. apparently uh, Phil kind of declined at first and then immediately realized that was insane to decline an opportunity to at, direct yeah, a feature 24 film. 24 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 24 years old to direct a film, you know, produced by Steven Spielberg and Amblin. And he was like, whoa, what the heck am I thinking? Yeah. But, you know, originally his thought was, you know, I don't want to do another one of these John Hughes 
high school movies, right? Yeah. Which is what you thought it was going to be. Yes. Um, right. And you know, and who I love. I mean, no, no, of course, shade on John Hughes at all. Right. But, yeah. But it's but right. You don't want to see kind of a a, a rip off of that show. You don't want to see yeah, that exactly. rehashed. Well, yeah. and Phil didn't want to do that. Yeah. As uh, apparently the script was definitely a lighter kind of more John Hughes esque script originally. Well, so apparently Phil came back, like, chased after Spielberg, met him in his office the next morning and was like, whoa, 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 I changed my mind. I don't know what I was thinking. I was nuts. You know, I do want to direct this. Um, and and so he took on the project. Uh, he asked Spielberg for the ability to rewrite the script, which, mm-hmm. again, it's like he's 24 years old. It's, like, crazy to think that, A, you'd be directing a feature film, you know, your first film. Produced by such Spielberg. A, produced <laughs> by Spielberg. But now yeah. you're saying, hey, I want to rewrite it. And, mm-hmm. you know, this first time he would have ever done this, but he did it. Spielberg uh, convinced Universal. It's, I mean, basically, whatever Spielberg said went. So yeah. Spielberg yeah. said, hey, my boy wants to rewrite the script. And so Universal said, okay. So uh, one of the perks of uh, having Steven Spielberg exec produce your film, for mm-hmm. sure, uh, but he rewrote it, and I think that's my understanding is that's where a lot more of this kind of darker, kind of black comedy really the tone the, the, of this. Again, it's like we haven't really touched on this yet, but yeah. it's, it it uh, feels so much like After Hours. Um, oh, like what, which very, was very, very, very uh, much was, so. Yeah, and it's directly referenced in in that they had mentioned that that was kind of what a big inspiration a to go for it. Yeah, um, but which I love. I mean, I love After Hours is one of my I think. It's a fantastic Arguably film. the most underrated Scorsese movie, but but I think it's fantastic. I have to it's agree. a lot of fun. Um, and, and it's very similar. It's a, and it's a very, character. Yeah, it's where, they, where there's just this constantly forward momentum where the story never stops, but it doesn't feel doesn't feel tiring. It doesn't like wear on you. It just feels like you're constantly just on this adventure almost yeah. with this character. Yep. And yep. everything keeps going wrong, and it's like every situation somehow compounds and makes yep. the previous one worse. The stakes um, just constantly that. rising. Yeah. yeah. And and so so good point. Yeah. Um Phil Janu was definitely inspired by After Hours and I think, you know, even stole a couple of things. He also stole some music from Jaws, which you pointed yes, out. In the in the bug when they're in the science class watching yep. this bug documentary, there's there's the it's out <laughs> when to a see. scorpion eats it's a when they're it's when they're going out initially on the orca to go it's kind of like a cheery yeah. fun little piece that John Williams did. And he um, steals a back to the future shot too. Uh, yes, in, who in the actually fight. the lead actor of this was the 3D glasses guy, Biff yes. in Back to the Future. So. Yes, 3D glasses guy, exactly. Yeah. There's all these connections. I mean, so it's just an extraordinary story to me. And, you know, and, and uh, Phil talked about in the commentary and interviews for this film how, you know, he, he had no idea how unique and special this situation was because, you know, he, he, he had just been in the industry. He, he was so young and such a neophyte that mm-hmm. he didn't realize how extraordinary it was to have, you know, a feature film handed to you by Steven Spielberg, somebody so yeah. powerful in the industry and, and to be able to, to do so many things like rewrite the oh. script without a committee. I think and, any director would kill for that opportunity. Oh, especially my God. At 24. Yeah. Any director. I mean, and, and so, yeah, it's like, it's, and so now it's even more inspiring to me because I'm like, wow, what an amazing story, you know, this kid and this opportunity he got. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and then he, we have uh, Barry Sonnenfeld is uh, DP on this film. A mm-hmm. um, couple interesting notes there. I mean, of course, Barry has gone on to to direct a lot, and we mm-hmm. know him from, you know, especially in the 90s, like late 90s, he was doing big movies like Men in Black and Wild yep. Wild West and, you know, 
that kind of stuff. But before this, you know, he'd worked with the Coen brothers as a cinematographer and had mm-hmm. done Blood, Blood Simple, which I think is a really well shot film, yep. Raising Arizona. Um, and then he did uh, Miller's Crossing with Coen's after this film mm-hmm. in the 90s. But, you know, ex- what an extraordinary DP to have on your film as a first time 24 yeah. year old director. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the movie looks great. Um, yeah. The movie, and I think that's probably one of the things that jumped out to me most as a kid was this was probably one of the first films that I saw that had a lot of this kind of kinetic energy uh, mm-hmm. and had a lot of these kind of moves with the camera. I mean, I don't think I had seen, you know, like ramped crane shots and yeah, pull down and, yeah, and, yeah. and all, you know, and, and rotating cameras and, you know, we, you know, start on a bird's eye over the, over a character and we come down and twist at the same time and, and the extreme close-ups on the clocks or the lock or like that. You know, I, I, I honestly, I would be interested to hear if, um, you know, someone like Edgar Wright was inspired by this movie because there's a lot of oh. that, you know, you think of like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, yeah. how he does those really quick kinetic edit sequence, like almost like those yep, montages boom, where boom, it's like boom. everything yeah. is a close-up and you're, you're hearing that really up, like raw you know sound mix and stuff like that and it's very similar to this so i wonder if that's just coincidence or if this is something that he'd seen because even at this time you know there's a lot of inventive as much as it is very much you know clearly inspired by scorsese and 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 things like that and Mm -hmm. westerns um there's a lot of really creative inventive like original stuff in here um and he is not showing off it's not something that is that is like really um and i know that we we kind of wanted to get into this as well um, yeah yeah and i want to preface it first by saying yeah. that i am a massive pta fan i love paul thomas anderson <laughs> you're like i know that you can say one thing on the internet and then suddenly everyone you know there's going to be an article tomorrow that i want to like kill him you're or like, something disclaimer um, disclaimer but i i like and i like the movies that i am out to criticize i i enjoy magnolia <laughs> and i enjoy boogie nights yeah but what i find with so if you watch pta's um, first few movies, um, starting with Hard Eight. Hard Eight clearly a lot more studio interference. It was before he kind of had proven yeah. himself as like a big shot. And I actually kind of am the, of the rare opinion, I guess, that that I prefer Hard Eight to um, Boogie Nights and Magnolia because I think that studio interference um, restrained him, and I think that his restraint mm. there and the restraint that that was kind of and forced onto him, him made it yeah. made it a more effective. Uh, more cohesive directional kind of debut, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. Whereas you get into Boogie Nights, which again, I really enjoy Boogie Nights. I think it's a great movie. Um, but that's when he starts, you know, you start seeing him do like so many scenes are oneers and there's this mm. crazy cam movement and and it gets, it gets to, I think to its peak in Magnolia where there's a lot of, of for lack of a better term, like kind of show-offish camera movement where you can just kind of feel a young director, a director, um, you know, trying to prove that he can do these really complicated camera moves and they're very intricate and very, they have to be very precise with timing and character and, you know, okay, what's the blocking like and everything is kind of doing this big dance, which is really impressive, really great. I love PTA, but I've always found it a little bit distracting and I found that the later PTA, like especially in, in Phantom Thread, and it kind of started in There Will Be Blood, but... Phantom Thread, I think, is one of my favorite PTAs, if not my favorite of his, mm-hmm. um, where he, it's this restraint. It's this, it's this every single camera movement is justified and you can feel, you know why it's happening. It's not show-offish. Yeah. It's, it's, it's simple and it's elegant and it's, um, again, restrained this, this, I'd rather, it's, it's kind of the same principle as like an actor 
bawling mm. their eyes out can be really, really boring, but oh, an God. actor on the verge Almost of tears always. can be much more um, intense. Like an yeah. actor that is a, that that knows how to control their their emotions so that they're about to cry, they feel like they're on the, the burst of that. Yeah. Or an actor, rather than sprinting down a road, an actor speed walk, like when you can't run, but you've got to like quickly walk somewhere and there's this mm -hmm. quick walk, that can sometimes, that restraint on any big kind of moment in a movie can sometimes make those moments that much more intense and suspenseful and yeah um just all around that's just kind of what i prefer um of course this is all just you know personal opinion um and i find that this movie does that incredibly well that every camera every time that there's there's uh you know a more complicated move of the camera or something like that that it's not distracting it doesn't feel like the director's sitting there going i want to do this because i want somebody to watch this and go whoa that's a crazy camera move it always feels like as the the set pieces get wilder and wilder as the tension builds and the stakes rise and the, the day just gets worse and worse for Jerry, that the camera movement and the, the kineticism of that is building along with it because of what's happening. Um, and it never feels like, like he's just showing off or trying to prove that he can do crazy things with the camera and, and stuff like that. Again, yeah. big fan of PTA. Love those well, two that, movies, but I mean, that's, that's just something that I've, I've found that is a, a really neat kind of comparison between the two of them, because I find that this movie is very restrained. It's very mature, for lack of a better term. For a 24-year-old so director, it feels you, very mature. Yeah, that's so interesting that you'd say that. I mean, I you know I, I hear what you're saying for sure, and I, I tend to agree with you uh, in general about your, you know, restraint versus, uh, you know, showing off uh, or pushing and and certainly um, those criticisms have been kind of you know levied at at uh, Boogie Nights and mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Magnolia, especially Magnolia. And I think I've even heard PTA himself talk about how he thought you know that I, I could have maybe used a little restraint on that mm -hmm, film mm -hmm. um, in hindsight, you know, as he's aged. But you know, it's interesting to kind of explore why you feel like that works in this film and why you feel like maybe it was a distraction in the others. You know, to me. In my mind, I, I, I never had, you know, I, I actually, I like Boogie Nights. Um, I like Magnolia and I kind mm -hmm. of like sometimes it's like technical, you know, virtuosity, if you will, it is not usually a distraction to me um, because I feel like those movies are kind of, you know, especially Magnolia. It's a very kind of operatic, dramatic, oh, yeah. heightened, yeah, yeah. almost fantasy film, quite frankly, um, and so I feel like that camera work kind of pushes that film in that direction and it's, and it's okay. This mm -hmm. film, I feel like it really works because it's, you know, from a story perspective, you're in high school. We've already talked about this, where at that age, things are so heightened, so dramatic, so emotional. Certainly this situation, you can imagine how this would just be absolutely like the, you know, just the, the height of terror, you know, yes. for, for, yes. our, for yeah. our character. And, these, you know, all of these scenes are so heightened, you know, um, and so I and I feel like the the camera work here really lends itself to that. If I imagine some of these scenes without the more complex camera movements and we had, you know, a heavier camera, a more stable camera, I can imagine this. If this were just shot on sticks with maybe occasional dolly shots, mm -hmm. it would take so much of that energy out. It would take so yeah. much of yeah, that yeah that that driving rhythm and, and that's I what i mean about this one is that it all feels justified yeah and all everything that the camera not that again not that the magnolia and boogie nights are are yeah are not justified in any way but i just find that i just found that it was very very um 
surprising to hear how young this director was yeah. that that he had he, he seemed to have like this very ref refined sense of style in well, terms of the way that he he used the camera and 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 you know just set up these these especially the, the points where the camera is doing more complex things like you said the scenes that start in overhead and come down to kind of have like a, a double shot of two people talking to each other yeah. even the moment when um chad that's his name right chad is punched in the face and he falls into the bookshelves and all the oh, bookshelves talk greg. over. And that's i think it's great or it's the, greg or the something hired like that. the hired yeah bodyguard, the football like quarterback the football guy. player yeah um and you've got all the things toppling over and then it just it just craig. lands on it's them craig. at the end mike, craig craig mike yes. jolly as craig maddie that's who yeah. the character and, is, and yes. it just and it the camera just is panning very very simply panning with all of the the bookshelves falling over falling over and it goes on for like a comedically long time <laughs> yeah um and then you just have it land right on the end and they're just standing there behind the final bookshelf the that's falling over yeah well, I think it's interesting, you know, just it's interesting to note. So, you know, again, uh, it's my understanding that uh, the director, Janu, actually storyboard or uh, shot listed the entire thing himself, mm -hmm. e even storyboarded a great deal. And even further, he actually shot. So all of the the final uh, climactic fight scenes, um, the DP, Barry Sonnenfeld, was actually sick and wasn't even on location, wasn't even really? there for five days of the wow. shoot. And I think they had, oh God, I want to say, I think maybe he said that this was a 30 day shoot. So for five days of that, he wasn't even there. So I think it's very fair to, um, to give credit to Phil for the, the look, you know, the yes. visual aesthetic oh, of this film, definitely. certainly not to take yeah. away from Barry, uh, very, very obviously a very talented DP. And I'm sure he had a significant impact in things in the look as well. But mm -hmm. I mean, definitely the director had a, a major, major, major voice in in the look of the yeah. film. I yeah. think, you know, rhythm, we talk about, I think one of the things that this film is a really great example of are the the components, all of these components coming together, dialogue, the you know, how the camera is used, of course, of course, of course, the editing. Um, I think there's a really wonderful rhythm to this film that yes. as soon as this film starts... The, and the rhythm just key and it it's just beautifully maintained. It's got a nice dynamic. It speeds up in places. It slows down in places, but it's always kind of consistently building. This film is a really fantastic example of of exceptional rhythm mm -hmm. in a film. Yeah, in definitely. my mind. Oh, uh, totally. It's it's got um, again beyond just the kinetic energy of the camera work. It's got such a there's just this the the way that this is edited and um you know it's it's not edited by uh thelma shoemaker but it could be <laughs> it yeah could but be. it could be <laughs> um you know like i think actually i'm not sure who edited it. um so let me so, look that up real quick so but the the editor uh the editing is credited to credited to joanne fogel okay i am not familiar with this editor yeah me neither but Joanne Fogel is, and that's the... Joanne, which is interesting. It's Joe Ann Fogel, not like Joanne the name, but Joe the name, then Ann the middle name Fogel. Well, I and and I yeah, and I, I can't speak to that. I don't. Anything, like I said, I don't know who uh, um, this. I think it not, uh, not a uh, a ton like nothing nothing super well known. Well, the, this this person did a fantastic job on this film. Yeah, so there yeah. I could say that for sure. Um, really quite wonderful. Um, yeah, you know, and she's oh she so she's directed so uh, a, a lot of TV, some television. Like CSI, Law and Order, 
um, things like that. But Doobie, yeah, definitely. Doogie Hauser. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Doogie she, Hauser. wow. Yeah. So, um, so she there, worked a the, lot in There's television. a lot of really great, like, just the, again, the simple, like, I think editing is such a, again, as I'm not the first person to say this, but it's the final stage of writing. And I think that that is, is ever, like, it's never calling attention to itself. You never feel like there's like super chaotic editing that, that, that drives, you know, you kind of insane or distracts you or something like that. It's all very, very intricately placed. And there are some really kinetic edits. There's moments where, where things are kind of going a little bit crazy, but it all fits like everything. Fits. Yeah. Technically yeah. there's not, there's not a ton to criticize about this movie when you come, when it comes to the technicalities, like it's, it's all done really, really, really well. Yep. It, everything really fits together. Well, I, you know, yeah. something else I, I want to shift to a little bit here because I think it's, you know, again, it's, it's kind of one of those films that's like it's it's better than it should be. It punches above its weight class, mm-hmm. and I think the actors. There's some really really interesting people here. I mean, yes. I think like first of all, you know, I think Casey uh, as as Jerry is is like the perfect everyman. I think there's like this perfect blend of kind of humor. But you know, but, but he's got these great. I mean, his like seduction scene of his. Oh you know, my god! Of his, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> language arts teacher. I mean, yeah. there's just it's and he he does a perfect job of of because I I mean I remember being a kid and I went through a couple of years where I was bullied and that's probably about the time that I saw this film and oh my god could I relate to Jerry Mitchell like I just mm-hmm. felt like I was this kid you know yeah, it's, it's it's really really. Uh... Yeah, he does such a great role. Um, what's his name? The um, who plays the uh, the bully? Um, so Richard Tyson. Richard yes. Tyson. Richard Tyson. So Richard Tyson. Richard Tyson reminds and... me of a young Patrick Swayze. Like he reminds me so much of Patrick Swayze in The Outsiders. Um, it's so interesting. Like it, it's yeah. like I, I was just yeah that it has a very very mysterious I, I, air about him and stuff like that yeah i think yeah well i think that you know he brings a great presence to the film uh mm-hmm. you know i know they did a lot they spent a lot of time casting a lot of the you know the leads are unknown so you know i know uh, casey now how do you pronounce is it samasco i know that he he yeah, did samasco i think he did yeah some, he did some work before this and he might have had the most experience of the leads yeah he'd but been in back sure to the future and yeah richard tyson hadn't done much and ryan stacy glick I mean, all of these, you know, kind of the younger, the kids were Yeah, it's unknown. Paul Feig's first little cameo. And he's got a little cameo. But yeah. then we've got these guys, like Jeffrey Tambor is, um, is like the student <laughs> yeah, store yeah. kind of, you know. And, but, he's, but he's great in it because he's like, he takes it so seriously. So seriously. Again. He's and like. Philip Baker Hall, I, I, I was another thing I messaged you during this that I was yep. like, I see where they got Philip Baker Hall's Seinfeld character. Yeah. he's just playing this like tough cop that's taking his little high school job <laughs> so, so seriously, seriously. And, and it's just John that funny role in, in the when he's the when he's the librarian cop and in, in seinfeld it's like very similar but yeah john it, p ryan yep and he's great it's, there's just a ton of gets punched in the face right at the end. <laughs> yeah I, I, almost everybody gets punched in yes. the face in the end yes. let's face it right <laughs> yeah um but great performances that i do have a fun so a fun little story about uh richard tyson so you know, like I said, I mean, I, I, I grew up with this film. It's kind of a part of my own mythology as, mm-hmm. you know, uh, inspired me to be a filmmaker. I connected to it. Uh, and so it's like been kind of seared into my brain, right? These characters in this story. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, this is probably now maybe a decade ago. Uh, I was living in Los Angeles and I was actively pursuing a career as an actor. 
I mm-hmm. was interning for um, Sovereign Talent, which is a theatrical agency. I think they did commercial stuff too, but they were th- theatrical and commercial agent, like a boutique agent, but a, but definitely a reputable one um, in Los Angeles. And I would intern there. Uh, I think I spent, you know, like an afternoon every week or something, you know, mm-hmm. and I would like help with submissions and read scripts and kind of give notes for the agents and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. And just, you know, mail out submissions for their actors. And we're still like in this crossover era of like there were still physical resumes and headshots, eight by tens. But then we were also shifting to submitting electronically. So, yeah, you know, it was yeah. kind of kind of the all interim this stuff, period, all this crap going on. Right. Well, so I, I didn't even know, but Richard Tyson was repped by them at the time. So I'm just doing my thing. I'm like busy file, you know, busy like filing papers or whatever the heck I'm doing, you know. <laughs> and somebody walks into the office and I look up and it's freaking Richard Tyson standing right there. <laughs> and it caught me so off guard because in my mind, all I could think was like Buddy Ravel. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> and I swear, dude, like inside me, like I, I somehow regressed it instantly to like a middle school like kid. You didn't want to touch him. <laughs> I, I was like, I was Jerry Mitchell, dude. Yeah. And 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 I and I don't remember like verbatim, but it was something like you know where it's like you just completely saying the wrong things because you're mm. so anxious. So I like tripped over my word. Like he actually came to me to ask me for something like you know, I, and it was probably something like you know, hey, is you know, agent blah 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 here, you know, and I completely like stumbled over my words, and I just remember him <laughs> just like staring at me like. What in the hell are you doing, dude? What is wrong with you? And That's I swear hilarious. to you, I swear to you, he had the same demeanor. He had that same look. It was like so intimidating. I I, I mean, I and then afterwards, of course, I was just like, oh, my God, you're such an idiot, Clark. Like, what is wrong with you? I mean, I could have done or said any number of things. I could have thanked him for his performance. I could have told him how much the film meant to me. I could have, you know, hell, I probably could have gotten his autograph or something if I'd played my cards right. And, you know, and uh, but instead, I just like turned into Jerry Mitchell in this film. But (laughs) well, I mean, hey, you got a great story out of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a testament to his performance. Right. But I swear, I mean, looking at him, I would and I don't even, you know, I don't even remember him being particularly tall or but he was just such an intimidating presence. I was like and of course, all of my baggage and history with this story and this character. So Mm -hmm. anyway, there's my little like brush with uh, with Richard Tyson uh, from this film. eh? Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Let's just say he's he's good at 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 uh, at intimidation. <laughs> yeah, he played the role. <laughs> he played the role. So he was good casting. Yeah, but uh, there's so much good casting. Oh yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And, Again, and, oh, like, I and love everything. You... Takes it like Jeffrey Tambor takes his role so seriously, and it's great. And yeah, it, and it's I think what's really again s- sort of shocking, but also very inspiring about it is the fact that again you have this. 24 year old director who who is getting these great performances out of out of these people who are well above his age and well above his his yeah. weight in a you know talent and, and so much more sense. experience in many yeah. cases i and, mean you know um, it's like philip baker hall had been acting you know like one and a half times longer than he had been alive, alive. at yes. this point you yeah. know uh, but so had john p ryan um and it's i, I love these little easter eggs like uh yardley smith is like in the in the beginning and at the very yeah. end she kind of bookends the whole film and you know um 
she is kind of like you know just like these little tiny things like when i was a kid there was another film that i really loved called the legend of billy jean which is a 1985 film she has a much larger role she's one of the leads in that and Mm -hmm. so if you were kind of like a kid in the 80s just these little easter eggs you know were just kind of fun Mm -hmm. um you know, I so you know another thing too. We don't spend as much time often talking about music uh, as we do like visual aspects and you know performance. But wow, I mean, I really feel like I mean, at least for me personally, and again, maybe this is kind of like having grown up in the '80s. But to have Tangerine Dream, mm-hmm. yes, score your film. I mean, I and think that's it, a great score. It's, it's an all, amazing yeah. score, and I feel like it really. Ele- I mean, it and it does a couple of things. I mean, it it definitely like places this film in the 80s right even more than it already is it really does kind of place this film in the 80s but i think it it, it's awesome though it does it in a way that almost makes it timeless instead of yeah you know well it's i mean it reminds me so much of of like wang chung scoring to live and die in la yeah where that is also a very 80s score but it it it's like this like incredibly brilliant score that it it works so well and like you said it makes it kind of timeless even though that it is even though it's like super timely sounding score yeah 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 but it's like it's like when you do something well maybe that's what makes it like maybe it's a it's a staple as opposed to a like a cliche almost and tangerine dream was the best i mean you know uh at this time i mean tangerine dream and i think they even call back to it um you know when did risky business come out do you remember when risky business 1984 okay so it was a couple years before this right might be actually risky business 83 83 so yeah so four years before this they even kind of like reference you know uh i think there's like there's a scene here where there's well when he's with the uh the microwave uh well there's a couple there's with the teacher with the teacher with the oh yes doing his book report and we kind of have like a very reminiscent of like the um love on a real train yeah, uh, the Tangerine Dream song from Risky Business was kind of a callback to that. Mm-hmm. But so many films. But when he yeah, and at the beginning when he's doing the mic, he kind of slides in over to the microwave to hit it, turn it on or turn it off or something. And well, I that's a, that, that's that kind of a Risky Business. Of... That's a visual. Yeah, yes, yeah, visually. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. visually there. Um, yeah. But there's kind of some some like music callbacks. But they, I mean, right, they were right. huge. They did you know Risky Business. They did. I mean, um, almost uh, like it seems like I feel like every like amazing movie of that era I'm trying to find, but they did Near Dark. Um, yep, Near I Dark. Thought, I love Near Dark. Like Sorcerer. right after. Th- yep, right after this. That's Catherine Bigelow. I think yep. that was her first film. I uh, no, that. it was her second. I actually oh. took Funny Life. I took a Catherine Bigelow. Um, an entire course on Catherine Bigelow in university. It was her solo debut. I think yeah, she solo debut. Her previous one had been co-directed with uh, someone who had done a lot of work on David Lynch with David Lynch. I think yeah. he's like assistant director or something. But yeah, they did. Uh, yeah, which is great. If you've ever seen Near Dark, great movie. It is a great, great movie. score. Yep. It's and, and so just they elevate the film. And I was going to say too. Sorry, I, I actually I no. forgot um, that they did the score for the, the Grand Theft Auto Five. Which they did. at the beginning of this film, when they're driving to school, I was like, this sounds so much like Grand Theft Auto V. Like, was it the actual... It's, it's actually it... Tangerine Dream that did the yeah. uh, Grand Theft Auto V, uh, some of the score for it. Yeah, some of and the so score. And so I think it's funny that I was like sitting there going, hmm, interesting that this is this sounds so much like Grand Theft Auto V. And it's because I didn't realize that they had done the score for Grand Theft Auto V. Yeah, they've um, done a ton of things. And, yeah. You know, Legend, uh, they did Legend... They did. I mean, just a ton of movies. Uh, Risky Business, Firestarter, 
just a lot of these films from the 80s they were mm-hmm. they just seemed to be almost everywhere um at you know for a few years there in films yes. and then people kind of copied their style and you know it was kind of really pervasive in the 80s their kind of sound um but i think it just adds so much to this and and for me it's such a treat now again it, it's like almost timeless in its you know it, it in its timeliness you know it's just it's so 80s but it's so it's hard to articulate but it's like so 80s but it's so like universal i don't know i think i think because just because it's so good that it supersedes the fact that it's it doesn't get dated like it's 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 like one of those things that it's like abba <laughs> like, you know it is? Think i think ABBA. there's enough time i think there's yes. enough time yes, is what it too, is. Yeah. that's what i think it is you know it's like you know probably like a decade like if we were talking about this film in the mid 90s you'd probably be like oh you know what an 80s wow so what, 80s, a, yeah. what a typical 80s film but now we're sitting here in 2022 which wow blows my mind uh-huh. um it, it's almost like we're talking about you know a film from the 50s you know it's yeah. like <laughs> it's like so much well there's there is passed. there is about an equal amount of time between now and the 80s versus the 80s and the 50s yeah. so and i and there you go and so i think it's like now we're talking about a film and this really does blow my mind and this makes me feel just extremely old cullen that mm-hmm. that that yeah i mean we're talking about a film that's that's that is so old now that it is kind of like you know crossed over into t- timelessness wow yeah oh yeah, my yeah. gosh I feel well it's so like old. i mean it's like even like you think of something like the matrix that's like the epitome of like the 90s that in like neo tech kind of mm-hmm. you know edging into the 2000s this the, the you know y2k whatever and all that and technology yeah. and but but now suddenly all of that kind of that trend that like that cyberpunk kind of trend has like reemerged because it's been 20 years. And, and yeah, you know, whereas that was like so uncool in like 2010. Just don't get me started on the latest Matrix in. movie, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but I want to talk about I do want to talk about before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about something else. We don't often talk about or sometimes we do about these films. I want to talk about kind of the 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 reception the the yes, commercial yeah. response to this film or, or rather shall i say the lack thereof because i think yeah. there's an interesting story maybe um for for people who are thinking about getting into the industry or maybe you're you're struggling in the industry or you know no matter where you're at uh if you kind of are an aspiring filmmaker or you are a filmmaker i think there's some interesting things here i mean so we've talked about all of these different aspects that that we think are really admirable in this film. And I think we both are in agreement that the film is a really well-made film and deserves to be seen by people. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it is a film that is absolutely positively on every level better than average and in some ways is exceptional and it yeah. deserves to be seen. But yeah. sadly, it wasn't. And, you know, I think it's just an it's an interesting example of, um, you know, my understanding was that basically what it came down to was that the Universal's marketing department didn't quite know what to do with the film. Now, who knows? Mm -hmm. There may be other political or economic issues that drove this. But but the story about the film is kind of that because it did have a darker uh, kind of tone, although, of course, we look at it today from 2022 and it really does not seem no, very dark, dark at all but i think yeah. if you put it in context of 16 candles or something like that you you know ferris bueller, yeah ferris bueller yeah yeah you would there is definitely this is darker film there's more um, violent like raw violence kind of thing and and, yeah. and and it's and it's a little esoteric it's a little yeah. eccentric right mm-hmm. uh for some of the reasons we talked about the 
the uh, characters are a little more offbeat. Uh, the the technical aspects, the camera work is a little more, you know, offbeat. Mm-hmm. Kind of adds up to just a little bit of a funkier flick. Um, and apparently, the marketing department at Universal just didn't quite know what to do, so they di- didn't advertise it. Apparently, it only received newspaper advertising about you know the hmm. day before it opened. Wow. They only opened it in seven hundred theaters, and then they closed it after about ten, 10 days, days, two said, weeks. Yeah. yeah. So you know, it's. I think there's like maybe, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could maybe look at it. But in my mind, I think it's a reminder of something that's important to kind of keep keep in your mind. You know, this guy did everything right, in a sense. Mm-hmm. He made a really good film. I mean, everybody involved, not just the director, of course, it's collaborative art. Everybody worked really hard and made a really great film. And in the end, it wasn't successful. It didn't find the audience that it deserved to find. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think it's just a reminder of that, you know, you can't control everything. There are so many aspects to to really broad commercial success that boil down to luck or boil down to things that are outside of your control yeah. that you, you can't beat yourself up. You, you know, um, it's just ultimately there are so many factors uh, that are outside of your control. Even mm-hmm. And this guy had luck that most of us would never, we'll never ever see. see yeah. You know, like, I mean, who who gets to make a film, you know, your first film at 24, Steven Spielberg's producing, you know, obviously that doesn't happen very often. And, well, and, that's, and that's very much what I meant when I said that it's very, like it's it's an inspiring movie in that sense yeah. that, that, you know, I, I of course, you know, you're, you're your own worst critic, but in, like in terms of like Daylight Again, what I just made, it, it's like, I look at it and I kind of think like, oh, it doesn't really do much. It's not, it's like, there's nothing that's like taking risks or anything Mm. like that. But then I see something like this and it's like, oh, this is such a simple story told so confidently. Yeah. And that's all that really matters is just that you go with, with what the story, you know, the purpose that the story serves. And, and and don't take your success or your failure too seriously. Exactly. Because there are so many things outside of your control in the universe that can influence that that you just have to you have to do it because you love it and you have to mm-hmm. you know and just keep on keeping on and you know because it's it's interesting to imagine what would have happened to uh to Phil Janou if this film would have received a significant push if mm-hmm. it would have been more broadly uh played in theaters God, and who knows I, I don't know? know if you've seen any of his other work but I, I'm actually very curious to see his other films now not that like none of them were were big um yep. but I'm actually quite curious to see if you know what was his? I, I was am his too. Next stuff like because I because, think the, you know yeah the only film that I think I've ever seen of his was State of Grace. That's okay. the only other film that I've seen, and and I I remember thinking pretty fondly on that film actually. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's been quite a while since I've seen it. I think that came out in like nineteen early nineties, like maybe ninety or something. Um, so and I saw that probably because of Sean Penn, Gary Oldman's in it too. Um, I mean, there's a great cast. Ed Harris is in that. I think Robin Wright, John Turturro. There's a really extraordinary cast in that film. Mm-hmm. So maybe that'd be a good place to start. Uh, yeah. And maybe yeah. I'll check that out again. But uh, but yeah, yeah. I'd be interested too. We'll have to, like, I, I'm curious to see how his other films kind of compare um, to this one. But what a strong debut director, uh, directorial debut feature film, huh? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Cullen. And uh, for everybody else out there, I hope that you enjoyed our discussion of it. If you haven't seen the film, go see it. Obviously, yep. we, obviously we it's recommend it. It's available on YouTube, um, like not for free, but you can pay a few bucks for it and 
there you go right on youtube or i mean i would recommend watching it go get the shout yeah go yeah. get the shout uh, uh blu-ray uh it's it's a really it's a really good looking very disc. rewatchable i mean i've only seen it once but i can already tell that like something that i would want to rewatch more again and again <laughs> yeah fantastic all right well colin as always it's been a treat uh, mm-hmm. i always love yeah. discussing films with you i can't wait for the next one and until then everybody take care be safe we'll talk to you soon yeah bye-bye